At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome on to another 15 and 60. You haven't had a chance to do a bunch of research on the West in quite a while. It's just the, the way the weeks happen to work out for us with some of these mailbags and travel. But we got a ton of great stuff for you here in the West. Before we get started with the Mavs, we'll go in alphabetical order. want to remind you, Dunked on Prime makes an awesome holiday gift. I hope you will consider that, particularly if you're a little bit of a late gifter like I can be sometimes. It has the advantage of becoming available immediately for your recipient. Let's get started, though, with Dallas, Danny. Let's do it. The Mavericks are 14 and 15 on the season and 6 and 11 since the last 15 and 60, a fair portion of that without Luka Doncic, which we will talk about. They are 20th in net rating, negative 1.4 per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass, 17th in offensive rating, 20th in defensive rating. Remember, they were much better earlier in the season. And the 538 Raptor model, still pretty optimistic on Dallas. 48 wins would be fifth and gives them a 76% chance of making the postseason. Elo, which is more built on how the team is playing playing, especially right now, that is a 63% chance of making the playoffs. And at the outset, we can note um, Dallas ended up losing that game to Minnesota 111-105. And Kristaps Porzingis left the game due to right foot soreness. He did play 23 minutes and was plus 10 before leaving the game. Yeah, that's he's actually been getting to the foul line more these last couple of games, but hasn't been able to hit a shot. But yeah, that again with Porzingis, it's just whenever it he kind of gets going a little bit, or even if he hasn't gotten going, there's a sore knee, there's a sore foot. It's just there seem even when it's not an acute injury, it just seems like there's always something going wrong with him. And I think he's been much better defensively this year and deserves credit for that. The coaches deserve credit for that. But who knows? He's not considered the fastest healer in the world. So you have to imagine this will be probably a multiple game absence for him as well. So with Luka Doncic out for quite some time here, wanted to take a look. This is before the Minnesota game at the Mavs without Luka. And one of the big things that's been a talking point is that they are much worse defensively when he is on the floor this year for cleaning the glass plus 7.1 points per 100 worse with Luka Doncic on the floor in non-garbage time so that's a pretty significant number but certainly at this point in the season could be the result of some noise and there are basically three reasons 
why their defensive performance has been worse with him on the floor Dan, you tell me which of these if any you would attribute to Doncic. number one opponents take way more shots at the rim opponents shoot 27 percent of their shots at the rim with luca off the floor and that rises to 33 percent of their shots at the rim with luca on the floor you think that has anything to do with luca Doncic? not much but maybe a little bit i mean last year's jazz clipper series reminded me that guards can play a factor in this but less so yeah i i doesn't really if he's getting blown by and opponents are getting to the rim it's not the number one thing that you would look at the personnel has really fluctuated i think he gets probably equal time with almost all of their center combinations so i I think you know just generally that can maybe be part of it if he's getting blown by or if he's just not rotating at the rim the biggest thing uh well well, i'll get to that actually okay so so you don't think that's a big thing i think maybe it could be that would partial partial but not like it's not definitely not like all his fault or anything like yeah yeah that's not his, his primary responsibility but but i mean that that is a difference with him on the floor that is stylistic rather than just shot making and luck necessarily number two opponents get way more defensive rebounds when Luka Doncic or I'm sorry way more offensive rebounds when Luka Doncic is on the floor the Mavs are a worse defensive rebounding team when Luka Doncic is on the floor some not a ton but when you remember that they often less so now they often started games big it's kind of surprising because Luka's minutes are often tied with those Porzingis Powell ones yeah so if if you look at Doncic's history he is especially considering that he plays a guard and oftentimes doesn't have a small guard next to him although it's been less the case this year over the course of his career Luka himself has been a great defensive rebounder particularly when you consider that he's plays the point guard position 20 20 defensive rebound rate or above uh, all of his career uh, very solid in terms of the on off this is really a one-year thing that opponents are defensive rebounding a lot better now people have been saying hey he's not in as good a shape blah blah but he's he himself is getting as many defensive rebounds he's not like some unbelievable box out artist hard for me to put that uh, on luka Doncic. Either. same number three opponents are shooting 4.5 percentage points better for mid-range not a ton on him but a little bit maybe depending on how they're getting to those shots yeah you generally mid-range field goal percentage three-point field goal percentage not a ton that the defense can do about that i also looked at transition and the idea being that his kid his uh coach jason kid even criticized luca for this that he isn't getting back and certainly i find that as enraging as anyone but we're not really seeing teams running more off of misses when Doncic is on the floor they do run more off of turnovers when Doncic is on the floor and they do actually turn a little turn over a little bit more when he's on the floor though they still as a team have a pretty low turnover rate so again not a clear it's difficult to find clear statistical indicators of this now if you're i mean i think the the thing at the rim might be interesting and certainly those who are in dallas people who talk to the coaching staff they have found lucas effort wanting so far so i mean i think of all these things probably the opponents taking more shots at the rim they shoot the same percentage with him out there or with him not that's the thing that i might point to as a statistical indicator that he's getting blown by or not giving enough help or potentially not getting back in transition and, and opponents are getting more shots at the rim like that's so but but not like anything clear red flag but it's hard to find that with the perimeter players anyway also wanted to take a look at 
one Jalen Brunson with Luka Doncic on and off the floor. What are just the high line stats here with Luka on and Luka off for Jalen Brunson? When Doncic is on the floor, Brunson's usage drops. So it's it's 24% when Luka's off, when he's the lead creator, it drops to 16 so that's a huge shift. And as is often the case, there's a big shift in true shooting. So when Luca's off, Brunson's creating more 54% true shooting. When he's playing with Luca, 64% for Jalen Brunson. Yeah. So, and looking at the shot chart, the assist percentage, by the way, 14.3%. That's pretty low when Luca's on. That almost triples with Luca off, goes up to 37%. Um, and then in terms of the distribution of shots, I think the one thing that's interesting is Brunson has taken 12 corner threes with Luca on and he's taken four with Luca off, even though he's played about the same amount of minutes with Luca on and with Luca off. So that again shows you how he's just taking a much different role with Luca in the game. Well, and, and one other stat, yeah. sorry, just to just to put yeah. in there before I forget, uh, 116.5 offensive rating, excluding garbage time when Doncic and Brunson play together, 110 when it's just Brunson, and 110 is actually better better than you know for for what are typically bench heavy units. Though some of those are now that Luca's been out, starter included units. One 10 offensive rating especially in this environment not bad but 116.5 is actually excellent yeah and brunson's shot distribution interestingly he takes more of his shots inside the arc when he plays with luca than when he doesn't you would think you'd be getting set up more for threes uh and it's interesting as well that he also gets to the basket way more without luca uh, than with luca again this is just as a percentage of his shots this is not as just uh, overall in terms of raw numbers and one of the biggest things about his game that still really impresses me if you look at the pick and roll numbers he just gets to the rim a lot and so much and especially for a guy with with his physical profile out of pick and roll when he shoots it 36 percent of his shots come right at the basket and he's awesome at those 1.36 points per possession i watched a, a bunch of these plays with him getting to the basket and pick and roll and and then also when he doesn't and he just he has so many different ways of attacking the defense and one of his best tricks is if the big defender is even a little bit late getting up on the screen if it's anything other than just a straight up drop coverage and even if it even if it's like mostly a drop coverage if the big has any momentum going forward at the time the screen takes place Brunson he's not the fastest guy but he'll turn on the jets and blow by that guy he's got those Nash layups where you just extend the ball with one hand without ever putting two hands on it that keeps you from getting stripped from behind it lets you keep your forward momentum and get full extension you could do that with either hand going either direction he'll even do some of them left hand uh, on the right side of the, of the basket and so he could just gets up a, a quick head of steam just enough to blow by the guy and he's right at the basket before anyone can even help in that situation and then if that's not there obviously then he can get into his snake the pick and roll mid-range game he's got a little bit of kind of mini chris paul-esque operation in the mid-range snaking the pick and roll he'll also stay under control pick up his dribble in a good spot but he can still get to like he'll do a pass fake out and then maybe duck under he had a, a beautiful one of those against the lakers for example uh, where he can duck under for a scoop shot and it really just has, has been a revelation he, we mentioned how much more he's distributing when luca is off the floor as well he had another 11 assists tonight in their loss to minnesota so it does seem like it's trending more and more to me and i want to see how the rest of the season goes but particularly with the numbers that he's putting up without Luca on the floor where I think he may actually end up deserving getting paid kind of 
a long-term starter type of contract uh, for Jalen Brunson. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember. So your theory going back a few years was that guys that are better at attacking the rim point, like point guards, that that's better with a pick and pop big and then roll guys are better with, um, was was that the right, am I getting the, the balance of that right? I'm sorry, say that again? So it was about whether, so you said, because I remember it was about like which kind of, whether you want to pick, you want to pick and pop big with a, with a driving guard because then they can get to the basket or was it that, it, or was it a roll guy? I remember yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think like you want the guy who kind of takes up the opposite space. Yeah. So then Porzingis is a natural fit. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they also have him with a, a rolling big as well. Sure. Uh, but and I think all, the other thing too is just like if you have a guy who's not as good against a switch, then maybe you want a, a center who can post up a little bit as well. So there are a, a lot of components to it because maybe the center they don't want to switch him. So then they won't switch out the point guard either, even though the point guard, like switching just against the point guard would probably work. Um, let's get to Denver Nuggets now. 15 and 14. They are 7 and 10 since we last checked in on them. I don't think that's actually right. But well, yeah, I think, I, think, these... I think some of these are the last, since the last time we did. Uh... A non-mailbag. Yeah. Okay. So so they're, we'll just say it this way. They're 7 and 10 in their last 17 games. Right about even net rating, negative 0.1. That's 17th in the NBA. 12th ranked offense, 21st on defense. Remember those halcyon days when they were killing it defensively early on? And, oh, and sorry, by the way, the Mavs, they are projected for 43 wins, not not uh, 48. I think that was it. Okay. That was it. Might have been, might have, yeah. Um, but in any event, the Nuggets project, so the, the Mavs actually project for the sixth seed. The Nuggets are the ones projecting for the fourth seed at the moment. They're still given a 93% chance of making the playoffs by Raptor. Elo gives them 88%. That seems high to me. Uh, like, I just, I think they could, I mean, even if they finished seventh or eighth or something, like they're just, I, I just wouldn't want to give that high of odds for any of these teams that are kind of in this like 500 ish morass right now i guess i guess what saves them is that there are a lot of teams below that 500 ish morass as well and they're and, not and that good overall Jokic has been very durable though he's missed more time this year than he usually does just as a to, to note it um the overall stats the cleaning the glass version of the stats so far when Jokic is on the floor nuggets have a 104 defensive rating when Jokic is off the floor that jumps just slightly to a 121.2 so Oof. that's part of that's part of why the on-off centric stats are still absolutely loving Jokic's defense. A part of that is dramatically different opponent shooting luck and a few other things, but a part of it is you know Jokic is playing much better. And so the the deep dive that I did on on the Nuggets, it was just something that interested me is that each of the last six seasons, Denver has been top three in offensive rebounding as a proportion of their misses, and currently this season they are 29th. And so I, I did kind of the thought process of well, okay, well, what could this be? And my first thought was, well, they've had to, the backup center has been very different than the last couple of years. They've been going really small there. And that is a big part of the story. Last year, the Nuggets rebounded 28.4% of their misses when Jokic was off the floor. That's down to 22.3 this year. But Jokic isn't off the floor that much, even if it's been more this year than before. And 
But so that was my first thought. I'm like, okay, that's a factor in this. But the difference between Jokic, like that difference from last year to this year, is actually pretty similar to the difference just in Jokic's minutes. So it's both of these together. And so when Jokic is on the floor, 28.3 to 23.8, little reciprocal action there. Then my next thought was, oh yeah, that's right. They had Paul Millsap last year. And it is true. They're, the Nuggets offensive rating was much better when Paul Millsap was on the floor. And they didn't replace Paul Millsap with anybody particularly Millsappy. And that's a part of it. And then I'm like, oh, maybe Mike Malone did a little shift to stop transition opponent transition offense or, you know, you do one of those. We've seen teams try that in the past. Not really. Nuggets opponents are having about the same percentage. Actually, it's identical in the half court. So it's it's a really interesting thing. I, I, I was going to ping Adam Morris to see if he had any thoughts on it, but I forgot to. And but I think it isn't like a couple other things. It's an it's multiple factors. So one is personnel and they're they're playing smaller now, both in the start in the starting lineup now with with all these guys out and in the second unit most most especially and some of it also might just be be a little bit noisy so maybe another reason uh, as well you mentioned the the departure of Millsap uh, that the Nuggets have changed their identity is Aaron Gordon now in his full first full season with the team and I think there are some questions going back to his days in Orlando of could he really take on a role be a part of a winning program or did he really want to be someone who is going to have to handle the ball more and try to score more which in his defense it's not like they had a ton of people who could do that in Orlando either how has his game changed now since coming to Denver it's pretty dramatic and Gordon right now again small sample size so you're not comparing a full thing here career high in true shooting 60 percent on a basically a career low of like the modern Aaron Gordon in usage 18.3 his first two years when Gordon was getting his feet wet wasn't even starting most of that time was actually lower than that but it was different and some of the old hallmarks are like okay maybe shooting way better from three you're like yeah actually he is um 35 percent is tied for Aaron Gordon's career high with 2018-19 but his attempt rate is the lowest since those aforementioned first two seasons and Gordon's free throw rate is lower he's making more of them but he's getting to the line less than in most of his most of his career so instead the biggest difference for Gordon is two pointers and he's making 59% of twos, having never made more than 53% in the rest of his career. And when you take a lot of twos, that makes a huge difference. And we thought that Jokic could make Gordon a much more efficient player. And that is another big part of the story, is that this year, 58% of Aaron Gordon's twos are assisted. That is by far the highest rate of his career. And Gordon's only taking 15% of his shots as twos beyond 10 feet. Those are shots that Aaron Gordon has never been particularly good at converting. And he's basically halved those. Since he was in Orlando, they were about, you know, 15 to 18 percent of the shots. And then if you use cleaning the glasses filter, they are only seven percent of the shots he takes now. Yeah, they almost maybe could use a little bit more of that stuff, frankly, when Jokic is off the floor. I think they like the pairing of those two for the reasons that you mentioned, but they really are just fiending for offense with some of the absences that they've had whenever Jokic sits. I mean, that's been a major problem, even when they were, quote unquote, healthy at the start of the year and now with MPJ out also. It was Gordon as a guy who kind of plays the four on offense and, you know, really probably shoots a little below average for a four at this point but defended the three on defense. That's why he was such a nice fit with Porter Jr. Because Porter Jr. is essentially the opposite. And now without Porter Jr. out there, they're playing Jeff Green in the starting lineup next to him. And so they're really kind of down on shooting with that combination. You've kind of, you don't really have plus shoot. If Jeff, you want to consider Jeff Green the three on offense, he's certainly not a plus shooter at that position. So Gordon, it's not his fault that 
the role that he was brought in to play isn't exactly what they need at this point, but he's still playing that role and he's playing it very well. He is. And Gordon making 78% of his shots in the restricted area. And those are, I believe, a higher proportion than they have been in a while. 44% in, from floater range. That's that's a little fluky that we have talked about in previous years about the Nuggets logging some of these a little weird. I would have to look into that much more fully than I did. And you brought up the idea of role and whether he was going to fit in. And a part of why Gordon has been so much more efficient individually is that I compared it to his full year in Orlando, not just the partial one last year. This is a good little a good little description of it. Is that like Gordon, 14% of his possessions or 19% if you include passes that last full year in Orlando were pick and roll. He was not good at it. And those have pretty much been excised in Denver. I can't remember the full number on it. And it leads to this significant concept. And so I partially I use DPM because I like it and partially because it's the easiest to search historically, um, like for it's kind of a pain in the butt for um, for RPM because you're like, OK, Aaron Gordon is a very different offensive player than he is now. As as EPM defines it, this is Aaron Gordon's best offensive season. And when you compare that to he in 17, 18, he averaged 18 points per game. This is his best EPM offensive EPM season. And something else, it, I mean, we think we talk about this every once in a while with Aaron Gordon is that this is his age 26 season. So he's still younger than a lot of guys. But just for fun, these are some other guys that were born in the same year as Aaron Gordon, because it's just kind of a it's kind, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around when you think about these guys entered the league at dramatically different times. Christian Wood, Grayson Allen, Jakob Pertl, Carl Anthony Towns, all born in the same year. Yeah, Gordon was super young for a freshman, even uh, when he was drafted. Although I will say uh, there's a feeling that those like Devin Booker was one of those guys. Brandon Ingram was one of those guys. There's a feeling that maybe those guys are more likely to develop. I would say Gordon in terms of his skill level development has probably been a, a little bit of a disappointment despite being one of those guys. Dragon Bender was another one of those late birthday guys. So is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I think you could price in a little bit of extra development for those guys. But I wouldn't, you know, if it's a matter of six months or something, I wouldn't let it affect my decision making. If it's a matter of a year... Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, 
else. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us okay uh golden state 24 and 6 13 and 5 over their last 18 plus 9.7 net rating is second fourth on offense 112.2 that's been a little bit of a free fall defense though 102.5 is first by a mile they project right now for the third seed looks like 538 is finally coming around to them <laughs> just a little bit although not as much as the jazz or the suns uh, they are given a greater than 99 percent chance of making the playoffs i know you had had uh, some analysis you want to get into on jordan Poole, but in their loss to the raptors where they just didn't even bring half their team to canada i in part maybe due to a, a possible covid outbreak pool of course uh was diagnosed and now also uh or, or tested positive and then also andrew wiggins has tested positive as well so clearly an outbreak within the team i don't expect this will be the last of the covid positives for the warriors but they did have jonathan kaminga had a nice game four of six from three in this one they got blown out by the raptors of course with in og Nobi's return i thought his three-pointer looked better you know it looks like he's kind of getting rid of that hitch that he has when he shoots it off his forehead a little bit it looked a little bit smoother he hit a couple of difficult ones obviously only one game to go four out of six you're not going to go crazy on it but i thought it looked a little bit better for him and then just some of his ability given his size and his ability to attack off the dribble and the way that he can finish explosively he's still working on his touch but the angles that he can just take off from and dunk you know he, i think he must have pretty small hands because he's always a two-hand dunker pretty much you know we haven't really seen him go up for a big uh one-handed dunk yet but he can 
jump off at two feet or off of one foot. And once he gets ahead of steam going to the basket, he's very difficult to stop. And he has oh, a pretty yeah. good handle also. And his defense is so improved. Uh, they've even been putting him in as a little bit of a defensive stopper at times. So improved in terms of technique from the summer. So really encouraging stuff from Kaminga so far. I think, is he going to be in the rotation on an every night basis? Probably not. But I do think that when he's had the chances, he's, and particularly when you consider that he missed the three weeks in camp, uh, the improvement that he's shown has been notable so far uh now what do you make of jordan pool season here despite the fact that he is now uh, in the dreaded health and safety pros well that's actually a part of why sometimes i do these focuses on players who are in the protocols is that i know their stats aren't changing so it can be <laughs> it can be it can be a little easier i i did i was able to do this on saturday pool averaging 18 points a game 31 minutes per game 28 appearances so far 58 percent true shooting on 25 usage and something I think is really interesting for for Poole, and so we just brought up Jalen Brunson and how his role shifts when Luka Doncic is on and off the floor. Jordan Poole has far less of a shift overall, with one notable exception. So, but the, but this is why it's so interesting. So Poole's assist ratio and assist stays about the same. His assist percentage, of course, he's handling the ball more, he's dishing up more. It it it, it jumps, and then his usage goes from basically twenty percent to thirty one percent. He's the lead ball handler when Steph Curry's not on the floor. Draymond, well, depending well on let him. me, yeah, yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think they've really tried to pair him with Draymond and or Andre Iguodala when Steph is off the floor. So I think he's, he gets more chances, but I think, you know, they're just running a lot of the same sets that they would run for Steph uh, for him uh, as the lead score. I don't, I mean, he's the lead ball handler because he'll bring the ball up or he'll also be playing with Gary Payton some in those, uh, those sets as well. And he initiates some pick and roll and stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, but yeah, so, so the big difference though, you're saying is that it's 31 usage instead of 20 when he plays without stuff. Right. But what's different is that, well, Brunson, that shift in usage, as is often the case, corresponds to an improvement in true shooting. Jordan Poole, roughly 58% true shooting both places. Now the offense gets significantly worse when Steph Curry is not on the floor, shock of shocks, but his individual efficiency stays about the same, which I, I, I think is actually a very positive sign. And it's not the whole enchilada but that also could potentially you know could both things for it. he's still pretty young and some of the other numbers 1.12 points per possession on catch and shoots that's pretty good and better yeah. he than takes I some really difficult ones too yeah and better than i would have expected on pull-ups 0.94 is uh 67th percentile when you compare him to most of the guys who are taking pull-up shots you would say that his toolbox is not is not as as robust as those guys and the individual efficiency and pick and rolls fantastic under 100 possessions but one point two i think that's an under a utilized you know if he's being guarded by like a great defender it probably doesn't work in pick and roll but against secondary defenders as a pick and roll guy i think he is a good driver he makes very good decisions when he gets into the and lane he attacks quickly which is good um, yeah and that, and that can work well and then a stat that that cracked me up it's again small sample size he's passed it to the roll man 27 times so far this year and the warriors have a 0.5 points per possession on those and yeah that'll yeah. probably shift with james wise been replacing Kevon Looney at some point yeah that, and, and I think that could the idea of Poole and and uh James Wiseman on the second unit is one that I think makes sense although just whether that's the best thing for the team we'll see because Wiseman obviously has to defend on the other end anything else you wanted to talk about with Poole no I think that's I think that's pretty much it but I would say it's been a it's been some positive returns we, you and I were very effusive about what he looks like in summer or not in summer league in um Pre-season. in training camp and yeah. and he's he's done well 
Yeah, he has. And, you know, it seems like he's probably going to make it far enough into the season as the starter that he wouldn't be eligible for six man. There's also some great six man candidates as well here. But uh, I do think, you know, he's not, he doesn't have the elite quickness and handle like your typical bench scoring guard. Uh, But I think what makes him viable offensively as a starter is just that he's such a good off ball movement shooter now. He's really fit into the Warriors system well there. So the fact that he doesn't need the ball to be effective is a huge development. Yeah, you could make the argument. You can make the argument that Poole is worse, is not going to be able to do what Jordan Clarkson does, but he can be a starter in a way that Jordan Clarkson cannot. And also, Houston Rockets. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Better better positional size. Yeah. So the Rockets are 10 and 20, but they're 9 and 9 in their last 18. Pretty impressive there. And they're still 26th in net rating at negative 6.3, 26th on offense, 25th on defense. So that's how you get to be 26. Uh, They (laughs) still only project for 24 wins which is a, a surprise to me. Uh, maybe maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to me. Uh, that, that would be 14th in the conference. 0.1% chance to play Osper Raptor, but ah, 2% chance for ELO. What do you got on these guys? The place to start is with a personnel move. There are other than, you know, hardships and stuff there. It's very, it's somewhat rare to see an actual move here. And what, what Rafael Stone did is they waived Daniel House in part to help House find a new team and as everything's going around. But more importantly, from Houston's perspective, it was to open up a roster spot for Garrison Matthews so they can convert him off a two-way. Matthews has been starting for them. And we don't have the full contract information yet, but from Tim McMahon's reporting it sounds either exactly a hinky special or very damn close to it because the first year is guaranteed and then there is conditional protection for the second and third years and then a team option for the fourth year and the hinky special is a four-year contract where the where only the first year is guaranteed that's how i defined it years ago when coming up with it it's a little different for matthews because part of the best version of that for the team was that you got the ability to make the guy restricted free agent if you really want to but Matthews has been in the NBA before, so his years of service are a little bit different. But Matthews, for him, it's a lot of money. You know, it's he's making a lot more than on a two-way. But like Lou Dort, who will come up later in this, he gave up a lot of flexibility and control in case he outperforms this contract in exchange for a fully guaranteed first season. Yeah, although again, I, I think... Sometimes what's lost in this is that a lot of times when a guy is signed to a two-way, there's an understanding that if we want to convert you, these are what the terms are going to be. And recall that he was in camp with Boston and asked for his release so he could glom on with the team where he had would have a chance of actually getting out to the roster which in fact of course he has and he's because they were just so terrible shooting the ball early on he's, he's been a really important revelation for them uh what else you got on these guys it's good to see christian wood back on the floor he returned against detroit Jonathan Fagan had speculated this was going to happen and Wood had 21 and 8 against his former team was plus 15 in 30 minutes though worth noting that the Pistons are distinctly not great they also this isn't their section though they did beat Miami tonight that was a weird game I watched part of it and Josh Christopher played in that Pistons game he had 10 7 and 5 turnovers in 28 minutes and I, I thought it was interesting you know, I'm going to need to watch more of this myself from Kelly Eco at The Athletic was watching Christopher pregame and said that there's a form tweak for Christopher that his shot is looking better. He's 16 of 34 on three so far. That's just under 50%, but 34 is not enough to really draw anything from. And then 
Alper and Shangun, you know, we're at 500 minutes played here, so it's not crazy. But I wanted to look up his assist percentage. That's Basketball References version of the stat. Is the 22nd highest for anybody listed as 6'9 and taller and listed as a center or center forward. So guys like Chris Weber don't count in this in Basketball References database. And 22nd is pretty high. It's at, it's the same. It's, it's basically the same assist percentage as that year when Wilt Chamberlain said, I'm going to get a bunch of assists and got a bunch of assists. And <laughs> as a straight note, six of the top seven seasons of that group in assist percentage are Nikola Jokic. And the other one is somebody that I was largely unfamiliar with, but you might know a little bit more because he played on the Bulls, which is Tom Borwinkle in 74-75 on the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, he was kind of that high post passing center uh, on that Bulls team that suffered a massive disappointment in what was then the Western Conference Finals where the Bulls were. They lost to Rick Barry and the Warriors who, who went on to win the championship of the year. Yeah, really good rebounder and, and passer from the high post. They kind of, they didn't really have like a great guard to attack off the dribble, so they'd run a, a lot of stuff through him. Um, yeah, Shingun's passing has been awesome. They've been much better offensively with him on the floor. Although again, let's recall that he's coming in off the bench right as they're breaking up the porter green tandem that has killed them offensively all year so i wouldn't put too much stock into that like i think he has been helping them with some of his distribution the outside shot is not quite there yet for him shooting 28 from downtown around the rim he's solid but not unbelievable 67 percent for a center that's kind of average-ish he is creating kind of more of his shots there he's not just finishing dump offs necessarily but he's kind of he's not so athletic he's got to kind of pump fake and use angles underneath that that sort of thing the post-ups that he's taking they look really pretty and overall it's a point per possession 23 percent of the time he posts up in terms of the offensive possessions that he uses and point per possession pretty awesome there and where he's really most effective there though is using his spin moves and his quickness to get under the basket and score that's probably part of why his shooting at the rim is not so unbelievable because a lot of those are actually self-created shots out yeah. of the post uh however his kind of more traditional post-up moves not as good he's shooting only 31 percent in the three to ten foot range area so as i mentioned he does the other day he does have that kind of either shoulder pivot either way hook shot it goes in sometimes it could be a big weapon if he makes it a lot but the move that he really loves is the quick spin baseline but then when he gets cut off he's still under control and he can go to another spin move and get into pretty good position underneath so a guy i really enjoy watching him play he loves the fake dho as well likes to quickly attack the basket off of those plays to drive in and score but because he's such a good passer he actually i think he really is almost more using his passing to set up his scoring at times than the other way around absolutely we can get to the la clippers they are 16 and 14 over Overall, 8 and 10 in their last 18 games. Positive net rating, plus 1.8, is 11th in the league. And that's the defense that is feeling it because they're fourth in defense and 23rd in offense. Raptor, still pretty optimistic on the Clippers. 42 wins would be seventh in the Western Conference, and then 72% chance of them making the playoffs, and then 69% on ELO. I was interested in was there a split sort of MBD with them, whether you know, like whether Paul George played or not. No, not really. They're 13 and 11 in the games when Paul George plays, and three and three when he does not, including the game on I believe that was Friday when or no, was that yesterday? Where yeah. it, um, it was it was rough for Shea Gilgis Alexander to do that 
to the ankles of a man who was just coming off an ankle injury in uh, Nick Nick Batum because yeah he he got the inbound drove hard right got a little bit of a forearm into Batum and stepped back for that like high efish shot going to his right and but Batum he couldn't even react he got knocked so far back where he couldn't even but Batum was at the free throw water. line when Shea took that shot yeah yeah he he uh he made him look pretty bad yeah and big so, problem and, yeah go ahead, go ahead. no go ahead uh, I, I was gonna change the subject though the, the big problem for the Clippers overall is they're doing a lot of isolating but overall they are terrible at it uh they are seventh in frequency of isolations but they are 0.74 points per possession in oh, isolation, no. which is 28th in the nba i mean that's like really really bad stuff the only team that's uh, uh well there's two teams at worst one of them is the spurs but the spurs never isolate and right the clippers do all the time two biggest offenders uh reggie jackson has 82 isolation possessions 0.72 points per possession remember it was his isolations that completely killed the utah jazz last year getting all the way to the rim the, but the clippers you know, they're just a completely different team uh, and i thought Ty Lu said it well uh, on wednesday when he was asked hey you guys gonna go small play marcus morris at center i think batum and george were still out at that point he's like no we're not ready to do that at this point yet so and of course uh, they got beat by the jazz so and they've just been doing it differently with the rim protection of zubats and hardenstein and just a lot of size uh, defensively and that's uh, why they're fourth uh, on defense and 23rd on offense Paul George also right up there uh, you think he's top five in the NBA in isolations 123 ISO possessions 0.81 points per possession again averages about 0.9 on those half court uh, possessions that obviously don't include an offensive rebound so and then everyone else uh, is even worse than him so they really they don't have a ton of spacing you know, I mean their starting lineup had Bledsoe and Zubats in it for a lot of the year and that's a big reason that they're struggling George started off really hot uh, but now he He's been struggling some. I mean, his self-created stuff just is not really working. He's his pick and roll ball handler, which is 33% of the time. So he, he's basically 50% of all of his shots are self-created. You know, he's such a good player coming off of screens, but they almost never do that for him. That's only 7.2% of his possession. He's already got 346 total self-created possessions on the year and that's uh, with missing the last like five or so games yeah his pick and roll game he's actually passing out of the pick and roll now just as much as he's attacking 194 passes out of pick and roll that have led to a shot that's a very high number particularly for a player who you know isn't doesn't have the most natural point guard instincts you know that if you compare him to a lot of other guys it's not quite at that level but he's their best playmaker at this point in time and so unfortunately like his his passes have generated decent offense but his own offense out of pick and roll has been a struggle i mean it's not below average but it's not along the lines of a guy who's really a high level pick and roll ball handler he's shooting 41 percent e-field goal percentage on jumpers out of the pick and roll when he can get all the way to the basket it looks pretty good but that's only 42 possessions so he's not getting if you compare him to someone like brunson in terms of the percentage of time that he's getting to the basket as opposed to taking jumpers out of pick and roll much lower for him uh so, so and i think that that's fair particularly because he doesn't have much talent around him and they, it's been a rotating cast they I, I mean after being one of the greatest shooting teams ever the last 
couple of years overall there's the, their personnel is different and the shot making from the guys who are left is different also for sure a uh, quick update on terrence mann one of the breakout players in the 2021 playoffs and man's usage within the clippers offense is actually very much in line with what it was last year 15.1 per basketball reference is identical to last year does have a drop in true shooting still above league average but 60 percent last season 57 percent this year and that's primarily due to man not making as many threes last year 42 percent which felt ridiculous 42 percent and then as jazz fans know all too well 43 percent in the playoffs on top of that down to a 36 percent this year which is still totally manageable and so man I, I there's still a productive player in there but the idea that he could be scaled maybe that he could do a little bit more I, I he's you know capable defensively he can be disruptive and all that but it at least it seems like tyloo even when they're shorthanded is keeping him largely in the same box it's good Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. The Lakers here. Yeah. The Los Angeles Lakers, 16 and 15, 9 and 9 in the last 18. They are 23rd in net rating, negative 2.2 per 100 possessions. 25th in offense, up to 12th in defense. And the Raptor model, which hated them all year, still hates them. 37 wins would be 10th, 29% chance of making it into the playoffs. ELO, more optimistic, 51%. But that is going to be complicated by the absence of Anthony Davis. He is hurt four weeks with an MCL. I I, I don't, four weeks, I think, is a rough proxy. I don't know if that's a reevaluation or that's what an expected return. But even though this has been well below Anthony Davis's usual standards, I'm concerned. So it's going to be more than four weeks, I would guess. I agree. Because for, for a couple of reasons. Generally, there's a grade one MCL strain. That's what Steph Curry had in the 2016 playoffs. That's kind of a two-weeker, three-weeker. Grade two, I think it was Marcus Soule had that one back in, in the middle part of the last decade. A lot of guys have had a grade two MCL strain. That's more of a six to eight-weeker. I don't, I mean, maybe this is like a 1.5, but... 
my guess would be reevaluated in four weeks means okay then maybe he starts ramping up his activity a little bit but i i don't think it's gonna be seems like more like it's gonna be in that six to eight week time frame when it's all said and done so and then you got the all-star game coming along as well so my guess would be we don't see him until after all-star i agree and that's that's disappointing and we saw already in that game that the lakers played against the wolves that they're gonna go a lot more sorry more accurately in the in the in the game against chicago that they're going to go a lot more to lebron at center because they're they don't their centers aren't amazing and they don't have that many that many fours they can defend like fives anymore and we also saw trevor reza la native return to the fours his first game his first game of the season was on sunday night he played 15 minutes had three points made a three so good to get some depth back but it's going to be a challenge and also frank vogel's in the protocols which is a challenge to deal with yeah david fisdale taking over at head coach Let's talk a little bit more about what this absence for AD means. I think the Lakers are either four and one or five and one in overtime games. So, and this is, they've played like a below 500 team. LeBron has missed time, but uh, I mean, it really, maybe with Ariza back, it's a little bit better, but, and LeBron's going to have to play a lot at center though. I mean, this is Davis being out means we're going to see a lot more Carmelo Anthony. I'm actually pretty surprised that the Lakers are 12th in defense, but we also have to remember part of why their playoff odds are so low, despite being 16 and 15 and the crappy West right now is that the easier part of their schedule is mostly in the rear view mirror already. Lots of home games, lots of easy teams. Like they've already played OKC three times, for example. Lost to them twice, but... So yeah, I, I mean, if I you know, thirty-seven wins per Raptor seems low. I mean, Elo just basing it on how well they've played so far likes it better at fifty percent chance of making the playoffs. But you know, we we put it a couple of weeks ago. Like, what are the chances that they make it out of there? They're they're not that they are just in the playoffs, sixty or above. And you know, I think you got to say that's well below fifty percent at this point in time. And I just don't see without Davis how they're going to be a really quality defense. And not only because he's good in theory, although we've talked about how some of the metrics have not been kind to him defensively this year, but also just because the players replacing him and particularly Carmelo are not that great. You know, if it's DeAndre Jordan, that's not amazing. They started Jordan. Now remember that Dwight Howard is also in the protocols. They started Isaiah Thomas, played him for 32 minutes. He went five for 11. Isaiah Thomas on the same team as LeBron again, by the way, I never even thought of that until uh, they just got a trade for Jay Crowder and then they'll really get the band back together. Oh, if they, if they do that and recreate the cover, that would be so perfect that this is going to be great with Nash. And yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, the, uh, the former Celtics did not get along too well with LeBron back in uh, in 2018. And he <laughs> essentially required them to all be traded away. The good news for the Lakers, though, is LeBron has been playing really well lately. 31 points tonight on 11 to 21, and he did that while going 1 to 7 from 3. He also got to the foul line for 11 attempts, had 6 assists, 39 minutes. They lost. He was negative 1 against the Bulls, who were without Zach Levine. They have their and playing their first game in, a, in over a week. So this is before this game. These numbers would only go up. Uh, last nine games for LeBron, he had missed one in Sacramento with his own health and safety protocol scare. 29% usage uh, for reference, by the way, over that time period, AD was at 25% and Russ was at 23%. Again, maybe a little bit skewed by the fact that LeBron missed one of those games. Um, Russ, actually 23% usage, 56% true shooting. Like that's that's all you can hope for. That would be pretty close to a career high in true shooting for Westbrook if he, if he can keep that up. Uh, he was nine out of 19 tonight. Uh, but LeBron, 62% true shooting and plus five 
5.5 net rating in that span. That's decent, but also, you know, LeBron James, when he's been on the Lakers before this, has had like a 10 net rating or more. And that's what you would really need to be to be considered a contender with LeBron out there. LeBron also getting to the rim and finishing really well, shooting 83% at the rim over his last nine games coming in. And last year, by comparison, it was 76% at the rim, but he had not been getting to the rim and finishing as well before that. So that's pretty impressive. The downside, though, is that this team, they don't isolate as much as the Clippers, although they do still a fair amount, and they're just not good at all. LeBron, 69 ISO possessions in 18 games and 0.8 points per possession he also is not really setting up individual setting up his teammates only 21 pass outs of isolation leading to shots uh he shoots the jumper and drives about equally and about equal effectiveness though that's the biggest difference i went back and looked at his numbers from 2018 his last year in cleveland still it was about half the time isolation and half jumpers but he was way more efficient on both and his drives in isolation were 1.13 points per possession and they're below 0.9 now worth noting he wasn't really any better in isolation last year 0.84 points per possession and and he hasn't really been like an unbelievable isolation player i think with the lakers uh but he did drive more uh, last year right as an iso player and russ also not fantastic he's 10th in the nba with 107 iso possession 0.77 points per possession as well so i think my approach against lebron now maybe this will change i don't think it will though because he's going to be playing with a a center a lot of the time i think particularly when he's playing with a center would be to switch the pick and roll if it's howard or deandre jordan those guys aren't going to post you up or anything so just switch it bring help behind him uh because he's still an awesome regular pick and roll player if you play a conventional cover like his numbers out of that are really good so i'm gonna say hey we're gonna switch it and hopefully force you to take an isolation jumper or if you drive we're gonna bring some help and or maybe even not bring some help unless you're just clearly beaten uh because he doesn't he just doesn't have a ton of moves off the dribble anymore to create separation laterally from his man but i mean he's gonna have to do a ton this is this effort 31 points in 39 minutes like that's just what he's gonna have to do for these because they're they, they don't have the luxury of time here like they need to at least stay around 500 until ad gets back very true a team that stunningly does have the luxury of time because of their run is the memphis grizzlies they're 19 and 12 on the season 13 and 5 in their last 15 in their last 18 games and that includes two separate five game winning streaks or if you like it this way they won 10 out of 11 before their loss at home to the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the for the season, the Grizzlies are 10th in net rating, basically plus two. Fifth in offense, 18th in defense. Remember when they were last? So that, that's improved a lot. Raptor model, very op- actually both models are very optimistic on the Grizz, about a 90% chance of making the playoffs. And then a the 538's Raptor model projects that they will finish 46 wins, which would be fifth in the Western Conference. They would theoretically then face the Nuggets in the first round. Yeah, that said, a disappointing loss at home to the Blazers. We'll start folding them into this uh, as well since uh, watch that game. 105-100, Blazers took it. And Memphis shot themselves in the foot with a number of terrible fouls. Jaron Jackson Jr. only played 20 minutes. He had six fouls. He fouled out when he failed to box out Nasir Little, who got around him, and then he tried to grab Little uh, as he tried to jump for the rebound. That, yeah, that by the way, two the different Grizzlies, including Jaron, I think it might have been Dylan Brooks was the other, didn't box out. I mean, it was such a terrible play for them when uh, doing that right, they probably would have won the game. Well, and then the other thing was Dylan Brooks 
by himself followed Damian Lillard three times on three-point attempts. And although uh, Lillard did give the Grizz a brief bit of hope late by fouling Dylan Brooks back on a three when the Grizz were down four with 10 seconds to go. Uh, but the, the Grizz never ended up. They got up a three to tie, but uh, it went awry. Huh, not bad. Um, from the Grizz side of things, they couldn't hit a three, nine out of 34. Desmond Bain had been on fire and he really struggled. One of eight from three. Uh, he had nine points. And then Brooks started off amazingly well, finished with 37 points, four of 10 from three, had three assists. He was the their primary guy throughout, despite getting into a little bit of foul trouble uh, with those two three-shot fouls of, or three-pointer fouls because Lillard had two four-point plays on Brooks' fouls and then also had a three-shot foul. But he overall was pretty good. I mean, it's asking a lot of him to take 25 shots and also to guard Lillard and face guard him the entire time. I did think they did a, a relatively decent job on Lillard after his 17-point first quarter, which included eight free throw attempts. He finished with 32. Brooks did a good job of topsiding him. They're trying to run some more off-the-ball stuff with Lillard. It didn't really work that well against Dylan Brooks because he was topsided and they couldn't really get anything going backdoor. They tried to run a lot of stuff, particularly when Nance was in the game, of like Nance facilitating out top, getting the handoff game, going to Lillard. And I thought Brooks did a pretty good job of shutting that down what did you how much of this game did you get a chance to watch i watched about i watched bits and pieces in the first half and then i watched the last quarter yeah so what were some of your thoughts I thought that the closing kick by Norman Powell was both a little surprising considering the reputation of Dame Time, but also extremely necessary for the Blazers. He had a couple of huge plays, not only on offense, but a big block where he reacted really well on it and hit, I think it was, he had five points in the last couple of minutes for the Blazers. That was, that was probably my biggest one during that closing kick. You brought up Jaron Jackson's foul trouble. That was, I mean, especially when you consider that this version of the Grizzlies don't really have any other guys that do what he does. I mean, because Brandon Clark still out, you know, the Memphis injury reporting. So Kyle Anderson was the primary other forward. Melton airballed a three. That wasn't great. And I've been really high on Desmond Bain all year, but this was a challenging game for him. Nine points on four of 12 from the field, one of eight from three. But I'm, I still, you know, that's not going to sour me on him. He just had a rough game. Yeah, he had a three-pointer blocked. I, I thought Taylor Jenkins did the right thing there after Powell. Well, later, we can talk about the end of the game, actually, in a second. I thought overall, Dame just doesn't look explosive. I think he just could not, like isolation, he actually could get his shot off against pretty much anyone. I and mean, if you go back to the playoffs, for example, you remember that? Where yeah. unless it was Aaron Gordon, they had to double it and to get it out of his hands or he would just like create an open three-pointer off the dribble. And he tried to do that a number of times, even on those hard drives to his left, even when they didn't force him right. He just wasn't able to get the separation. And Brooks, he's an intense defender, but he doesn't have elite athletic gifts. Like I would have thought that Dame just off the dribble could have figured out a way to get some separation. He couldn't really get much separation against the likes of Bain either. And there was a decent defensive talent, but he just, Lillard just looked slow. Like he, he would make moves where you could tell he expected to be able to turn the corner and he would just end up kind of getting ridden away from the basket a little bit. You might also say that guys being able to use their hands a little bit more on some of those drives were helping to maybe re-rot him outside the arc 
mark that he would normally be able to turn the corner on but it still it looked like he was just laboring a lot and just was not able to summon that burst to get himself open off the dribble and, and that's despite the fact that he had a very nice game with 32 points on 9 and 19 yeah uh before we forget turnovers. because because we almost always do when we're doing two teams at once the portland trailblazers overall stats 13 and 18 on the season a disappointing 7 and 11 in their last 18 even with this win negative two roughly net rating is 22nd in the league eighth in offense 28th in defense and raptor 50 percent chance of making the playoffs 40 wins is tied for eighth elo just 33 percent. although worth noting they are now two and 11 on the road Woo! after this stirring win against the grizz yeah a few other notes here. i thought the, the bench matchups were interesting I mean, with everyone out obviously the blazers only played eight guys simons was the backup point guard their bench unit was simons macklemore nasir little robert covington and larry nance who started at power forward but actually ended up playing fewer minutes than robert covington who had it working from the outside with his three-pointer and that unit was going up against a, another unit that didn't have a traditional point guard out there because tyus jones is really the only one that the grizz have so it was john conchar bain killian tilly xavier tillman and jaron jackson jr that unit was doing a lot of switching but unfortunately jackson committed just a couple of bad fouls in situations where he didn't need to off the dribble he had to go out at the start of the fourth um the blazers actually won the non-dame minutes by 12 which is insane considering uh, no cj and some of the other absences that they have i guess you could argue that they're probably their bench might be more intact than uh memphis's so yeah uh, good job there oh and it was surprise yeah good sorry since i thought of it do you want to talk about the the jump ball late in the game damian lord also hilariously he tried to argue that he called for a timeout when he was tied up instantly after he got the ball in the corner <laughs> and he didn't even jump but for whatever reason the blazers didn't even consider the possibility that steven adams would tip the ball forward instead of towards his own basket so i think that was desmond bain i can't remember who that was got in run out dunk. yeah yeah and i mean that's why you still need to jump even if you're not a not gonna win it because you can't just like let the guy get enough of a hand on it that he can throw a pass all the way down to the end which is essentially what adams did with that tip to set up a dunk yeah that that was pretty pathetic to not be ready for for that aspect of it but uh, the grizz actually hit a couple of threes they went up 69 60 in the third and then norm powell who you mentioned 28 points 10 of 16 5 of 8 from three brought them back uh, with a, a couple of huge threes and then late it was really back and forth the whole way tied at 97 and dame did set up yusuf nurkic for a missed layup but then tip for an offensive rebound and then memphis was really struggling to get good shots dylan brooks really had to force some and then lillard was in an isolation against bain they couldn't match up defensively for some reason after a long missed three from brooks they didn't get brooks onto dame but then brooks who, who overhelped a couple of times once off a of dame to give up a three in the fourth quarter and then this time he was i'm sure so concerned that he wasn't the guy guarding lillard that he went over and helped on a drive to dame's left where he just really was totally cut off had nowhere to go and then lillard was able to set up the guy that brooks had been guarding norm powell there was a wild closeout powell steps in for a 24 and that basically iced it with 30 seconds left to put the blazers up four anything else you had uh, on this one let me see, i may have a couple of small that, that's notes. all that's all i have john conchar at one point in this game had made 16 of his last 19 three-pointers after he made a ridiculous step back from the corner but then he missed one uh, conchar not necessarily known for his shooting but he's starting to become accurate if not necessarily 
high volume. Xavier Tillman still remains a pretty good defensive player. They're comfortable switching around the perimeter. The problem is just that he lacks explosion as a finisher. You know, he'll he's got some Kavon Looney-esque tendencies when he gets it underneath he'll kind of bend over the ball and like pump fake and, and get stopped a bunch of times i thought it was interesting that the centers played as much as they did in this game nurkic somehow had seven turnovers in 34 minutes and then steven adams played 36 minutes as well no both of these teams and maybe part of why adams played more was because jackson ended up falling out and only played 20 minutes maybe he would have closed it out at center but i think the grizz didn't want to switch because they thought that dylan brooks was doing such a nice job yeah on lillard uh when lillard was out of the game that's when they went to switching and then for the blazers i was interested i thought maybe they would close it out with nance at center rather than nurkic i think that might be their best alignment but they didn't go that way and nurkic to his credit had the go-ahead bucket uh, admittedly off of his immediate missed layup and tip and he has really struggles to finish these days he used to actually get some dunks every now and again now he really just doesn't at all at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Um, that's it on that one. Let's move on now to the Pels. Oh, we're not going to do the Wolves? Oh, do we skip the Wolves? Yes. Yeah. Minnesota's are Wolves. Okay. 15 and 15. They're 11 and 7 in their last 18, including a current four-game winning streak where the last, most recent of those was beating the Mavericks on Sunday. The Wolves are above water in terms of net rating, plus one, 14th in the league. They are 22nd in offense and twenty second offense and ninth in defense. Now, 538 projects them to win 40 games, which would be tied for eighth and about a 55% chance of making the playoffs on both 538 models. And... I know you wanted to talk about Minnesota's offense, which has not been the stronger side of the ball, but we've actually talked a lot about their defense over the last last couple weeks. Yeah, so you mentioned 22nd on offense, and they really are bad in just about every offensive play type per synergy except for two. And those two are the ones in which their two best offensive players shine. So isolation, which they 8% of the time as a team, they're actually eighth in the NBA, 0.93 points per possession. A lot of that is Anthony Edwards, who has been solid as an isolation guy. He's got 112 possessions in isolation, 0.88 points per possession. So just about average. And then Carl Anthony Towns, I really like more of him attacking off the dribble and his isolation game. I mean, some of those are kind of post-ups that turn into face-ups, but he's been awesome in isolation as well. Point, or, or I'm sorry, 1.14 points per possession. So that's really awesome. 92nd percentile for him. Edwards is about average, but uh, he's very high volume. And, and even D'Angelo Russell has been fine in isolation. A lot of those come out of pick and roll switches. So they're good there. And then the other thing that they're good at is pick and roll, roll man. A lot of that obviously is Carl Anthony Towns. The biggest thing that they're struggling in as an offense right now is spotting up yeah they, they just are not and they're also really bad finishing on what synergy calls cuts so the plays that are being set up by their stars to, for people to finish and i mean admittedly some of the stars are the ones finishing those plays too but that's where they're really struggling to find it on the offensive end right and they're also struggling to convert all of their to convert all their three pointers um carl Anthony town's actually shooting 42 percent from three so far this year but a lot 
lot of the higher volume guys for the Wolves aren't making their threes. Beverly's at 33%. Jaden McDaniel's at 28%. Russell. Yeah, a- uh, although he did, uh, he, he did shoot better today. He was. Yeah. What was he today? Well, let's not go crazy. He was he was two for four. Yeah, but and th- that's progress. Better. Progress. Um, and then D'Angelo yeah. Russell, a career thirty six percent three point shooter. He's thirty three percent, taking eight point eight per contest. Yeah. Now Edwards at thirty six percent, he takes some really difficult ones. Obviously, if that continues, that's really encouraging. But yeah, between Russell, Beasley, McDaniel's. I think those guys can shoot it a lot better. Uh, The other thing that they are bad at is transition, where they rank 28th in their points per possession. A lot of that is just guys like is Russell and McDaniels, and a lot of that is just those guys missing threes in transition. Uh, Overall, they're only shooting 61% at the rim. That's 24th in the NBA, and they're only 20th in the league in three-point shooting. So... 25th overall in E field goal percentage, even though they are having a pretty good shot distribution. 43% of their shots as threes. That's third in the league. And they are 28th in the percentage of their shots taken from mid-range. So their shot distribution is very solid. They just can't convert a, a lot of these shots. They are also third in offensive rebounds, which is hilarious because they suck on the defensive glass. And then, as I mentioned, like their cuts finishing is pretty bad. Even Edwards, who you would think is really good. I watched some of his finishes. He just kind of isn't using his body as well. He goes into some double pumps that he's just missing when he can't go up for a dunk a lot of times. And Vanderbilt, it just struggles to finish around the basket as well. Even Towns, 63% at the rim. Like that is not very good for a center. Admittedly, some of those are plays that he's creating for himself, but he's definitely much better as a one foot leaper than a two foot leaper. He does not finish that well from kind of a stationary position inside. So yeah, but I think ultimately, would you believe that the Wolves offense could be better than 22nd by the yes, end of the year? Yes, I, I absolutely do. And I think Chris Finch is a good offensive coach making some more of their threes. I don't think they're going to be top five or top 10, but they could be, I think their talent level and all that, their league average are above. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Also, now let's get to the Pels. I was so fucking eager to get to the Pels, uh, apparently. I'm not sure why that is, but. I think they've been better. They've been better recently. And New Orleans. <laughs> they're also not very exciting to talk about unless it's Devonte graham 75 foot game winner that was pretty great uh they're 10 and 21 on the season but eight and nine in their last 17 still ghastly negative 7.3 net rating is 27th in the league they're 27th in offense 26th in defense and after being so optimistic for so long raptor and elo toning down a little bit 33 wins would be 13th in the western conference and 12 percent chance of making the playoffs in either either model as i brought up the eight and nine is positive and another big thing for them is brandon ingram so far in the month of december Ingram is averaging 27 points per game on 59% true shooting and 29 usage. And 59% true shooting is broadly in line with what he did last year. And I believe the three-point shooting is is kind of similar. It's just that he has a larger role within the offense because Zion's not there. And 54% for true shooting on the year isn't great, but there's reason to believe that that brutal stretch that he had to start the year, that that was more the aberration than what he did last year, which is very good for them overall. Yeah, that, that's definitely encouraging. We talked previously about how he's really struggling to get to the rim, and we have to look a little bit more closely at whether that's changed in this recent stretch. Jonas Valanciunas looks like about the same guy. Pretty similar stats, although his three-point shooting is up. In frequency 47%. and success. Yes, yes. Uh, still only 2.3 attempts per game, so it's still the stretch aspect, other than that one completely ridiculous game that he had. It still isn't giving them a ton. And also, frankly, they just 
want him to be involved in the primary action more often overall though usage higher true shooting lower they're giving him more just straight post-ups which is never amazing particularly because he deals with double teams so poorly and he's it's tough to get him the ball in those spots a lot of times as well just for a straight post-up with the defense in position and i think that valanchunas just not getting as many shots at the rim he was just spoon-fed so well with by john morant yes. last year john morant and he had such a great pick and roll chemistry uh but what is the stats saying what are the stats saying i should say uh, about him defensively i was i was interested in this you know going back to the trade of valanchunas and stephen adams i was talking about and and i was interested so i looked at epm again i mentioned that was easier to look up historical stuff and rpm is not available yet so far for this year valanchunas last year was 39th percentile in defensive epm that's up to 51st so that's that's better and that that means he wasn't getting as much credit for the success that memphis had defensively last year as as he was in other things and stephen adams was 67th adams is much better defense Offensively and worse offensively compared to Valanciunas. And then this year, Adams is about the same. So basically, there's been a little bit of upgrade. And, but overall, partially because EPM, I, I think that defense is more important than offense for centers, that Valanciunas has been better than Adams by that by that standard, which is just one of many standards. Yeah. How about Devontae Graham and his effect on the offense? It's pretty funny that Devontae Graham is still very much doing Devontae Graham things. 37% on eight threes a game, pretty much the same as each of the last two years back when he was in Charlotte. Devontae Graham still under 40% on twos, still not getting to the free throw line. So that means even though he's shooting 37% on eight threes a game, the low average in true shooting is at 52%. And this is the lowest assist percentage of his career, which is a little bit surprising when you think about the fact that Zion's not there because you could have thought like, oh yeah, Devontae Graham was going to have the lowest assist percentage of his career, but that was because we thought there's going to be a different ball dominant star there. The overall picture, though, I would say is fairly positive. Pelicans have a 111.5 offensive rating when Graham is on the floor. That is pretty good, especially when you consider their surrounding talent and 0.87 points per possessions when Graham runs pick and roll. That's not bad. It's you know a little bit below league average, but not 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 dramatic. And I cracked up because I talked about the consistency of Graham, like the three point shooting, being under 40 40% on twos. The Pelicans also have basically the same offensive rating when Graham is on the floor as when the Hornets had Graham on the floor and LaMelo Ball off. So it's kind of like Devontae Graham, when he's running the show, you kind of know what it's going to be. <laughs> but that's, I think he's, you can say that he's been about what was expected. Absolutely. That's, that's what they paid for with that and, contract. Yeah, and it's not like they paid him starter money or anything like that in that deal. Though, um, yeah, a cu- couple other small things here on the Pels. Thomas Adaransky has a 38% true shooting. That's ah! not, not, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and Willie Hernan Gomez remains a solid offensive center with 67% true shooting, but man, they just, and, and this is the guy that they're saying is better than Jackson Hayes. 123 defensive rating, negative 15 net rating when Hernan Gomez plays. Wait, quick, uh, the quick, Thunder. quick note on that yeah, before I forget, because I, I looked this yeah. up and forgot to put it in the notes. Willie Hernan Gomez, and I'm not saying this is entirely his fault. He's, he's, he is in the second percentile in terms of on-off defense this year. This is the this would theoretically, if it held over the full season, would be the third season where he was in the sixth percentile or lower in that specific stat. Oof. He's played on some bad teams. Oh 
yeah. But it, I'm not saying it, it's his fault. I'm just saying it's, it's happened. Oklahoma City, 9-19, and 4-13 in their last 17. Negative 9.7 net rating is 28th. 29th on offense. Uh, 20th on defense. That's that's pretty good, uh, I would say. Uh, they project for last in the conference with 20 wins. Still 0.3% chance in the playoffs per ELO, but uh, less than 0.1% chance per Raptor. But uh, they've continued to have some individual bright spots here and there, and Lou Dort has been one of those this season. He really has been, and this is Dort's age 22 campaign, up to 57% true shooting on 23% usage. That is a 6% jump in true shooting in a worse offensive environment, though it's not as extreme now as it was earlier in the year. And like Aaron Gordon, I wanted to look into, well, well, what has changed? And Dort making pretty much the same, you know, 34% on about seven threes per game was a little lower last year, a little higher this year. And free throw rate is basically the same. So like Aaron Gordon, the shift is on twos. And Lou Dort last year, 47.5% on converting twos. That's up to 53% this year. And he's doing it in a more, in a conventional way, which is Lou Dort taking more shots around the basket and making more of those shots around the basket, up to 66% in the restricted yeah. area. He, he was a poor finisher in past years because he just would kind of cannonball in there and throw it off the backboard. Sometimes. Yes, and that has been better. And also Dort making 43% of his floaters, that I think is... I, I think that can tone down a little bit and would 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 shift things around. But something that intrigued me going through synergy splits is that Dort over a point per possession scoring and as the pick and roll ball handler and exactly a point per possession when you include passes. And when you consider that OKC's surrounding talent, especially when it comes to shooting, depending on their lineup, is below is below average. I was impressed by that. And so I, I, and that was different than last year, where he was a little bit below average and then way below average, including passes because they couldn't make any shots last year because the team couldn't shoot. And watching the film, I watched. I watched a fair portion of, of his pick and rolls, including passes, and I would say it didn't blow me away. Dort has become better at using his advantages. He's not quite like at the Jalen Brunson level, but my favorite thing that he does is, well, two things. One, can, when he gets it with a head of steam, that looks a lot better than when he's just kind of like, you know, dribbling around and the screen comes and he's trying to dance around it. Like Lou Dort doesn't have that kind of agility and adeptness with the ball in his hands. But the other thing he does well is when Dort gets an advantage, he's gotten more patient. And I don't know if this was playing with Chris Paul or what it was, but he's when he when it gets a guy on his back, he's gotten better at keeping that guy on his back. And then that well, he's, he's got a big. Uh, oh, yes, back, he does. Shall we say euphemistically? Yes, he does. And so that is oh, that keeps that keeps an advantage. And sometimes that leads to the other team helping. And then he can make that pass to an, to an open teammate. Or sometimes you get a floater or a layup. And as I said, he's not going to make 43 percent on his floaters probably for the rest of the year it had it does look better now than it did but that's a little bit ridiculous so more craft and paralleling Aaron Gordon I think that this is not going to lead to Dort being a primary ball handler on a good team but those skills can be useful when you're using an advantage or late clock or you want to do something opportunistically and he's gotten better you know as this, I think he's to me his spot up mechanics are, are continuing to improve so a positive story for him so far this year yeah and interestingly Dort on his pick and rolls about half the time he takes it to the basket the other half of the time it's a jumper off the dribble I mean that's jumper off the dribble and pick and roll for Lou Dort is not something that you would have thought of when I mean this was less than two calendar years we're really like maybe 14 months 
from him in the bubble in that game seven and he certainly has had a chance to spread his wings now you might say hey 12 out of 26 a lot of th- a lot of those are threes 65 percent e field goal percentage on jumpers out of the pick and roll that'll never sustain but the guy's taking threes on jump uh, threes off the dribble and pick and roll and actually like making a few of them so i think you know, i'm very interested to see how this uh evolves for him he, he's had a chance to explore the studio space it's looked pretty good so far and uh, i'm interested to see what becomes of him uh, eventually because certainly I, I don't think even to have gotten to this point and who knows how sustainable it was uh, and is going to be as kind of their number two offensive option and doing it with at least a reasonable amount of efficiency above league average and efficiency not something that i ever would have seen for him so i'm interested to see where it goes from here a couple other small or one other small stat i should say shea gilgis alexander led the nba in drives per game last year at 25 remember that is you start with the ball outside at 20 feet and you get within 10 feet of the basket that's the definition for the tracking data and that was five higher than luca this year he's basically doing it again 23 Ja is at 20 so he's three higher than the second highest guy again this season we can move on to the phoenix suns who are 24 and 5 on the season and a ridiculous 16 and 2 in their last 18 and when you consider that devin booker missed a lot of that stretch it's even more impressive they are third in the league booker returned tonight by the way as they crushed the Hornets. Um, but the, the Suns are plus eight in net rating, which is third in the NBA. They are sixth in offense, third in defense. 538 Raptor model predicts that they will finish in first place in the Western Conference with a robust 59 wins. ELO has them in first with 62 wins, um, which is which is ridiculous. And they finished that stretch without Booker five and two with a plus 3.4 net rating, which is phenomenal. Yeah, really impressive there. Uh, they actually were positive in that stretch with Alfred Payton on the floor. He's at least given them enough to, to not get killed. Ironically, the only rotation guy with a negative net rating during that stretch was campaign. The overall balance in the roster was completely insane. Aiden only played five of the seven games. He led them in scoring at 19.4 points. But during those seven games, they had eight players averaging in double figures during that stretch. Now, JaVale, maybe he doesn't get there with eight without eight missing two games and him starting, but that's that's just a completely insane balance on offense. I, for To have eight guys averaging in double figures is not something that I can recall seeing over any length of time. So really impressive balance. Chris Paul, you would have thought, hey, his numbers would go way up in terms of his usage without Booker in this stretch. Not really the case. He averaged 10 assists, 33 minutes a game. But even in those last seven games with Booker out, his usage only rose from 20 to 22%. For the season, his overall usage has declined from 22.6% last year to 20.1%. That despite his free throw rate actually being up a little bit. And that's even with Aiton and Booker, their two other highest usage players missing some time. The big reason why CP's usage is down, he's basically doing all the same stuff that he was doing inside the arc, but he just has a big decline in three-point rate and percentage. 
percentage. He took 30% of his shots as threes last year. That's down to 26% this year. And perhaps not coincidentally, he hit 40% for three last year. He's hitting 33% this year. And perhaps not coincidentally, he had uh, an undisclosed wrist surgery in the offseason and you know, maybe just doesn't quite have the power in that wrist. He definitely just, if you watch him, he, it's turning down more spot. He was never like super aggressive shooting from three to begin with. But now I think he's actually been turning down more shots uh, to drive. But I think he seems like relatively the same player statistically compared to last season, other than just that he's not taking and making as many. Right. And if you want a different way of of thinking about it, he's taking one fewer three-pointer per game and he's not making that up anywhere else. He's just taking one fewer shot per game overall. Yes, but still uh, all the same numbers are fantastic. So been a little bit worse in that floater range. 52% 52% this, this year when he was 57% last year, but he's been even better for mid-range this year at 54% instead of 52% last year. So that's completely insane. He's also only taken 12 shots at the rim all season and he took only 62 last year but he basically never ever tries to shoot a layup anymore and why should he because <laughs> it's it, it, he's much better and he'll he'll definitely gank some easy ones but i mean he's still again to do what he's doing at his age to not miss games to have maintained this level of quality is just absolutely incredible well, and we've it's come up a few times before Conley is another example of this small point guards generally don't age very well and i remember i think it was like six years ago i wrote a piece for the sporting news wondering whether the parallels between chris paul and john stockton would extend into them aging very well which has been the case even though they're not the same player chris paul is way better than john stockton don't at me uh also, this is interesting. I was looking just through some of the play types by team. The Suns are have part of why their pick and roll game is so deadly is they have Chris Paul and they have Devin Booker, who are both uh, great pick and roll players. And then they also, uh, as uh, pick and roll initiators, and then they got DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee, who are awesome pick and roll finishers. So they are second in the NBA in points per possession for the role man, 1.28. That's awesome. It's fantastic. And then not only that, but they also have the her- third highest frequency in the NBA as well so they are finding the role man and the role man is finishing all the time that's a, a big part of and I think people say hey you know they're they're offense yeah they're Booker Paul pretty good for mid-range can you be efficient enough with all those mid-rangers and the answer is yes because that's also getting the big to come out a little bit that's opening up all these great plays for the role man and the threat of the mid-ranger and just their overall pick and roll play opens up such other juicy shots for them either for the role man or for their good three-point shooters that uh, their offense i think is better this year than it was last year let's get to sacramento yeah let's do it the kings are 13 and 18 overall 8 and 10 in their last 18 including a win over the spurs which I'll, I'll talk about a bit for um, later. Their negative 3.5 net rating, though, is 25th in the NBA. They're 17th in offense and uh, still disappointing 27th in defensive rating. Raptor, less optimistic than ELO, but both it's like a 10 to 15% chance of making the playoffs and they'd finish as the 11th seed according to the Raptor model. I brought up that they beat the Spurs. Halliburton, 27 and 11 as the lead guard with De'Aaron Fox in the protocols. Buddy Heald also dropped 29, including seven and nine from long distance had a couple big threes late and good for them to get a win get a win over the spurs and you had wanted to do this deep dive a couple weeks ago but having more time actually i think made this more interesting and that is harrison barnes getting to the basket getting to the line 
it was a common lament early in his career in Golden State that Harrison Barnes just didn't have great feel for finishing if it wasn't a wide open dunk, that he didn't have great feel for driving, that he would get sped up, that he would turn it over. When he moved on to Dallas, he was more of an isolation guy working in the mid-range. He was taking as many as 46% of his shots from mid-range in his first year there, which is 16-7. He was averaging like 20 points a game. Now, though, he's basically never takes a mid-ranger and instead or i should i should say a shot from 10 to 23 feet that he was taking 46 percent of his shots from 10 to 23 feet back in 16 17 now though he just is much better as a driver than he had been he takes 28 percent of his shots from floater range that's pretty much a career high and then he also is getting to the rim more but he's doing it as a self-created on self-created plays and his free throw rate is smashing through his career high uh over 50 percent free throw rate last year was the highest of his career at 37 percent and recall again that free throws are, are overall down his career free throw rate is 27 so he's basically double his free throw rate for his career he's also increased his usage from last year 17.2 last year to 20.6 this year and the reason all that's working is because he's just so much better at driving to the basket this year he has 244 drives in 800 minutes last year he had 444 drives in 2100 minutes and he already has 62 free throw attempts as the result of his drives this year and 104 field goal attempts all of last year he only had 74 free throw attempts off of his drives incredible another in 2.5 times greater of minutes he's up so he's driving more he's shooting more on those drives he's getting fouled more on those drives he's up to 10.2 drives per game over 7.7 last year and he's doubled his free throw attempts per game off of drives from 1.3 to 2.6 that's of course in the half court we had the definition of drives back in the okc section he's working off of handoffs more which i think has really helped him because he's not the greatest dribbler and he's not the quickest but he does have a decent first step and so getting the ball on the handoff and being able not having to worry about maneuvering himself off the dribble into position has really helped him and he's able to then attack downhill off of those handoffs with the defense in a slightly disadvantaged situation he's also been pretty good uh, attacking on closeouts out of spot ups he basically is not posting up at all this year he, he did a fair amount of posting up last year now he's just not doing that in the slightest only 2.7 percent of his possessions this year and it was 9.5 percent of his possessions last year he actually wasn't inefficient on those but they're just not doing that much this year so his it's really exactly what you want as an offensive player if you can which is to have a higher usage while having less of what you're doing be self-created and he's just taking advantage of these slim openings in the defense to drive and then the most impressive part has just been his technique as a driver once he actually gets into the lane and he's so strong at this point that he's just he's able to slow down i tweeted out a, a clip of, of a typical example in transition but he'll he's become one of the best guys in the league at the pick the ball up on the right foot running back carry lower the shoulder to knock the defender back legally 
and then Euro step over to the left foot and finish. That's a, become a very common move. He's one of the best at it now. He also is able to get in the lane, and because he's under control, instead of just trying to go as fast as he can and jump as high as he can, the way he used to back in Golden State, because he's under control, if the defense is in position, rather than going up, he can pump fake, and he gets a lot of fouls that way also. So whether off a of two foot, two feet or one foot, he's just going slow. He's using his power. He's using his body, trusting that he can kind of take the spring out of the defense by making them slow down as well and just doing a great job getting fouled guys reach in on him a lot he doesn't get stripped he just gets the foul call he goes right through their arms for and ones it's just a really really impressive evolution he is was not a natural with finishing there's some guys who are just naturals at it he just not was not that guy and yet he's worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and found a way to succeed and it's really very impressive as someone who followed him early in his career to see this turn from such a weakness into a strength for him there are a lot more complicated forces at play here but I wonder how this development from Barnes is going to change. You know, you, we brought it up with Vooch a, a while back of like the passage of time and how does that change his value? You know, like maybe Sacramento just keeps him around, but he's had a really strong year. Does that make a team more interested in bringing him in? Is there a team that thinks that Barnes, he puts more on the table, he takes less away that's, than earlier in his career? Is that something that, that works? And I mean, the free throw rate is definitely encouraging. San Antonio is 11 and 18, disappointing loss, as you mentioned to the kings today seven and ten in their last 17 negative 1.3 net rating is 21st in the nba they are 20th on offense which is actually better than i thought they could be but an extremely disappointing 19th on defense to me now both of those are pretty darn close to league average either way uh they project for 34 wins which would be 11th in the conference and 14 percent chance of the playoffs for raptor either likes them a little bit better at 25 percent and they had this stirring win over the jazz in utah that put a an end to uh, the jazz run and then the jazz lost again by the way to washington which we'll we'll talk more about them later on here but you watched spurs jazz i didn't get a chance to to watch it what were your takeaways an extremely fun game both teams had offensive ratings in the 120s and a big part of why they have for san antonio so this was a, a game i watched the morning after so i knew the score i deliberately didn't know too much else about it and so i was thinking okay san antonio scores you know they, they score 128 points in utah beat the jazz 128 in regulation i wonder how they did it was, was you know Dejounte carving them up or anything else and the biggest thing that the spurs did well in this game was they hit some tough shots i mean they were 16 of 28 from floater range of a standard rudy gobert thing where the team only takes 15 shots in restricted area 28 from floater but also got some big jump shooting performances they were 8 of 16 from mid-range and then 15 of 41 on threes they actually attempted more threes than the jazz did in this game and with some some big performances off the bench lonnie walker had 19 in 29 minutes had a bunch of big shots late Vassell had a, had a, had a nice run and then other guys you know picked it in moments like Derek White I thought he really struggled for most of the game but then he had an important fourth quarter Keldon Johnson had his spots and so I thought it was I thought it was a really it was an enjoyable contest and something that I that was interesting early and it didn't end up being a much of a factor late is that the Spurs didn't seem 
afraid in the moment of finishing around over Gobert. Jakob Pertl took a couple of shots by him, DeJounte Murray, but you still saw it in the shot chart, just like you always do. And a lot of the attempts that the Spurs had in the restricted area were when Hassan Whitehead was in instead of Rudy Gobert. This was not a game where Rudy Gay played center against his former team. He mostly played power forward. And for the Jazz, I thought that Mitchell had this huge late kick sort of, I mean, his was much better than Derek White's, but in the early part of the game Conley did some carving as he, as he can often do against teams that play more droppy coverages you know Conley can get to his spots he can find Gobert do all do all of that fun stuff but I was inspired to look up because I thought one of the key stretches for the Jazz in the in the I think that was the third quarter was Utah did super well when in that part of the third quarter when they pull Conley and Gobert to eventually bring them both back in and so I'm like oh I wonder how that's going you and I have talked we know we've done Jazz games for the NBA cast and everything else. We've talked about that that mixed lineup when they have Gobert and Conley really wrecking teams. And for the season, when Mitchell was on and both Conley and Gobert are off, plus 5.8 net rating with a 120 offensive rating. Yeah, and they need to be that good on offense because with Gobert out, you know, Whiteside can take up some space in there, but they're they're not going to be a plus group defensively right. with Gobert out. But yeah, I mean, that's still, that's impressive when you don't have that traditional point guard out there necessarily yeah, and they, and they have, the jazz, they have yeah. Clarkson and they have the, the jazz have a lot of capable perimeter players but Mitchell sure. is the Mitchell is the heavy guy and last year 118.7 offensive rating in those that same those same constraints Mitchell on Conley and Gobert off and in that early going Utah I, Utah I thought had some trouble containing the Spurs they had 36 points in the first quarter but once San Antonio had lineups with some of their backups trying to go at Rudy Gobert things got dark real fast. Um, Eubanks was getting swallowed up. The Jazz were taking any drives and just negating them entirely, which is part of why they had to take so many jump shots, though many of them went in. So like, you could see the impact of Gobert in some ways more in those minutes than you could starters versus starters. couple other fun things about it. Rudy Gay tried to annihilate former teammate Jakob Pertl with a dunk, which was correctly called a foul. But Rudy Gay still trying to get up and do that when he is 30 five years old um, is still pretty damn impressive. And to me, you missed a lot of the early season. And then Greg Popovich made an interesting decision. I I think the plus minus on it overstates the success, but he went with Jock Landale instead of Drew Eubanks in the second half, partially because Eubanks had four fouls in nine minutes, but the Spurs negative 12 in Eubanks minutes plus 14 in Landale's. So I don't think, I didn't see it as a sea change. I didn't think it was, that was because of Landale, though having somebody who was a little bit more confident in his jump shot that did, that did open up some stuff, but I thought that was more just shots going in, other guys playing well. Yeah, the end of this game was pretty ridiculous. A couple other things we should probably note, Keldon Johnson breaking out for four or five yep. from downtown is good. He's been a little bit, his confidence has waxed and waned from three over the course of his career. And, you know, Pirtle scored as well as he did from floater range it was encouraging it also means that he doesn't have to take a free throw which probably helps him a, a little bit from the jazz standpoint
standpoint, the way that San Antonio was able to put up a buck 28 on them, despite not going crazy from three and not taking a bunch of shots through, I mean, you mentioned their awesome mid-range shooting was part of it, but also just the old bugaboo, which is never going to get solved, that the Jazz just don't force any turnovers. Yep. And, and, the, and the Spurs don't really turnovers. turn it over that much either. So Yeah, which is actually, that's impressive to me, given the fact that they don't have really a great primary initiator. But yeah, this, this is a great performance. I mean, it looked like it, with the Spurs down 14 at halftime and giving up 73 points that this was just going to be another jazz blowout of the type that they had been stacking up here before losing both ends of this back-to-back to san antonio and washington but then a 41 23 third quarter got the spurs back into contact and then the end of the game was ridiculous as well it really was and i i should have mentioned this earlier but it factors into the end of the game yaka purtle only took four shots in the restricted area and took seven from floater range and he kept a couple times including in key moments he was taking a flat-footed free throw line floater over gobert it was just such an awkward shot it made made one early that actually looked kind of great but overall didn't work out super well but the couple of big plays late one Derek white drove and gobert dropped so white was driving and he kind of stopped to gather himself at the free throw line then had a beat realized no one was on him and just took the free throw line jumper and made it that was a big shot and then i brought up that purtle floater Late in the game, he tried it again in a key moment and missed it, but he beat all of the Jazz men to the ball, got his own board, got the end one, and the Utah was leaning heavily on Donovan Mitchell late. He did a really good job overall, was getting to the basket, was drawing fouls, was kicking it to teammates, um, but he did have one, he had one key missed finish, but then to me, the definitive shot of the game, which I knew how the game ended, but I didn't know it ended like this. The, the Spurs were down, they were down one, with 33 seconds left after Mitchell Mitchell made a shot and so that you know they're bouncing back and forth um trading the lead in the, in the late going and Lonnie Walker drove the baseline and did a layup over Gobert which ended up being the game winning shot after after Mitchell missed that layup in the on the real last shot of the game and was super impressed with Lonnie Walker overall like that he got a cherry on top in this game where he came off the bench and scored 19 so a very a, a, a pleasing win the type of thing that San Antonio can hang their hat on a little bit though they then came back and lost to the Kings by seven on Sunday so how much much they built from it we'll have to see but i'm sure um, qu- quickly on walker i mean that that last shot going to his right off his left foot where you know that's where he's comfortable jumping as high as he can but gobert was right there he oh, went right into there. the chest of gobert all nine seven standing reach of rudy gobert going straight up and he just hung kind of very slightly pushed off like reaches right hand way back behind his head and banked it in over gobert. it was almost a great advertisement for the brilliance of rudy gobert that this is the type of shot that you need as a guard to to score directly over him exactly at the rim but Lonnie Walker was capable of doing it and it was a, a huge shot for them um a couple of things we can note here for the Jazz uh first of all their their fundamentals unless you have anything no, else you can go related. ahead uh they are 20 and 9 but as you mentioned have lost two straight uh they're 12 and 4 in their last 16 way up there in net rating 11.9 first on offense and they are first on offense by a shitload by the way it, like we mentioned Golden State is number four they are six points per 100 behind the Jazz right now and the Jazz are fifth in defense still too 107.1 they project for second in the conference 56 wins 
wins. Although, yeah, these two losses were, were really killer as far as, I mean, I think at a minimum, getting home court in the second round against whoever the third seed is, is going to be really important. And this the Jazz can look back on these two losses to inferior teams at home back to back when they were playing so well as a games they would love to have back uh and they will be making the playoffs uh, of course um here's a, a quick statistical note we talked about them a lot already so we'll wrap up here but uh why do they have the best half court offense in the nba uh, by the way we should let, let's call that up just so we actually have that stat so the cleaning the glass cleaning version the glass. cleaning the glass the jazz are at 118.9 the next team is the charlotte hornets at 114 so they're five points per hundred possessions higher on offense than anyone else um yes yeah and then in the half court this is just first uh first possessions only in the half court 101.3 offensive rating in the half court that that's actually not as big of a difference between them and number two atlanta but they're also pretty good on the offensive glass and then in transition they're also killing teams as well uh but what makes their half court offense so good they are the best pick and roll ball handling team in terms of of points per possession 1.03 that is 0.07 higher than the second highest team and so they're the best in the nba by a ton and then they also have by far the highest frequency 27.1 possessions per game with the pick and roll ball handler 25 percent of plays and obviously rudy gobert when he finishes teams have kind of i think settled if they're gonna play a conventional pick and roll defense on making the pick and roll ball handler score because you don't want to give up the lob to go bear and you don't want to give up the spot up three so they're jazz pick and roll ball handlers because of this ecosystem and because they're pretty damn good too conley and mitchell and joe ingles and clarkson are their main pick and roll ball handlers those guys are just going wild right now they're also taking a lot of threes off the dribble out of those plays as well but if you can force them into an isolation rather than a pick and roll situation by switching obviously that's i, I mean like these guys cannot be stopped unless you're switching I, I think unless they're just missing shots but if you switch their isolation only mid-pack 0.88 points per possession but that's only 5.9 possessions per game that they isolate and it's 27 possessions per game as the pick and roll ball handler so incredible if you can get them out of their regular pick and roll game maybe you can get some stops they're still very difficult to beat even then but if you're just playing conventional pick and roll defense against these guys you're going to be completely soft all right that will do it for today next time we talk to you on the public pod i think we'll do one more this week and then of course we'll be doing the christmas games as well so wishing everyone a happy holidays please consider subscribing or buying a gift to dunked on prime as well that would be much appreciated link to that is in the show notes and we'll talk to you all again soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply